0: Alrighty, friends, let's find our seats, please. Thank you for your punctuality. <clears throat> As we get ready to start this final session, let's pray and ask for, for God's help. Father, we're at a time of the day when a lot of us would struggle with uh, weariness, and um, we'd ask, Lord, that you would give us some mental energy, uh, physical stamina, help us to focus. Help me to lead the session in a way that's uh, generally beneficial and would make it easy for these dear people to listen. And I pray particularly that as we interact on what we've watched, that it would help equip uh, these saints for the work of the ministry of biblical counseling. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, we're going to... Um, let me begin our discussion of the what you watched uh, just make some general observations. I've got five things I want to speak to. Number one, the counseling session that you observed was 63 minutes long. And it was certainly not a perfect counseling session, but I think I would describe it as a good one. It, at the minimum, it ought to show you that a lot can get done in about an hour. I mean, you consider from the time they walked in to their walking out was 63 minutes. A lot was accomplished. And so that should show you um, that if you got a plan and you work the plan, a lot can get accomplished in that time period. Number two, I just want to say that what you watched uh, was a typical session number one for me. And it's what I would call just Randy Patton Vanilla Counseling. I mean, you come to me for counseling, session one, that's kind of what you get. All right? Good or bad, like it or not, that's just the way I uh, handle a lot of first-time sessions. Number three, I want to mention that uh, the first time I watched this, um, I groaned many times. And I learned some things. Number 1, I was totally unaware of how much time I spend looking down. I take good notes, I just didn't realize the price tag for that is how often they're looking at the top of head of my head instead of looking at my eyes and I wasn't aware of that. The second thing that I learned is typically I prepare the homework, at least the framework of it ahead of time and then as the session is progressing, progressing, I fill out the homework so that when we get down toward the end of it, I'm ready to tear it off and give it to them. I don't know what happened in this one, but I totally spaced it. And uh, that has to be the longest 78 seconds in recorded history. <laughs> Mercy. The third thing I learned the first time I watched this was how thin my hair on top was getting. <laughs> And as you can tell, that trend has continued. (laughs) Uh, The fourth thing I want to say, just as we're beginning, is I want to just comment, your responses were typical. By that I mean you laughed at the places where most people laugh and punched or nudged the people around you the way most people do. And I'm not saying this critically, just as an observation, You laughed, you responded typically the way a group does. You would not have responded that way if you'd been sitting at the end of the table in the room. And again, I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying, you know, you can learn a lot watching a DVD like this, but nothing takes the place of sitting in the room. Feeling the tension, seeing the tears, watching a Christian scrambling to do their, his or her best, to try to help somebody from the Scriptures. And all of that to say, I would urge you as part of your preparation, I mean, you're you're obviously interested in biblical counseling, or you wouldn't choose to be here. Alright? Some of you have paid a bunch of your own personal money to to be here. I want to just encourage you as a follow-through on that, to seek to get in a position where you can watch ongoing biblical counseling on a regular basis. And uh, hopefully, I mean, there's a lot of ACBC certified counselors in this area. Ideally, I'd want you watching one of them, but it doesn't have to be. And for some of you that may have come, you know, a few of you from the same church, and you may not have anybody in your church that's ACBC certified, I'd encourage you to work out a deal among yourselves and say, look. Uh, you be the lead counselor in one session. Let me sit in and watch you, and we'll talk about the case before, before the session. We'll talk about it afterwards. And then the next night or the next session, I'll be the lead counselor, and you can sit in and watch me. And we can kind of help each other. I mean, there's nothing takes the place of being in the room and observing uh, what's happening. I encourage you to get as much uh, live observation as you can. And then number five, I want to address the question that always comes up. Was this a real counseling session? And I'm going to answer it in, in three statements. First of all, it was a real session from my side of the desk. Second, it was not scripted. I did not know what they were going to say. They didn't know what I was going to ask. Um, I'll... We all had agreed that this session was going to be videoed with the intent that it might be used as an educational thing. Maybe, maybe not. And I knew that the, the issues were going to be marital. And the Counseling Center Secretary, they had filled out a PDI like people do at the Counseling Center and a basic information sheet like people do at the Counseling Center. And the Secretary put it in a folder, handed it to me and said, this one's about marriage, like she usually does. And um, so from that standpoint, it was a real session. And it was a real session from my standpoint, from my side of the desk. I I didn't know what they were going to say, didn't know what they were going to present. That's why I said what you watched was just vanilla Randy Patton counseling. That's kind of just the way it goes with me. Since the recording was done a few years ago, I've seen Trey on some occasions and had an opportunity to talk with him. And I've asked him, I say, people keep asking me if that was a real counseling session. And I tell them it was real from my side of the desk because I didn't know what you guys were going to say. But I'm wondering, from your side of the desk, were you talking to me about you and Deb, or were you did you take on the persona of your brother and his wife? And I've asked him that on two separate occasions, separated by a couple years, and both times he just smiled and said, well, it's a little bit of both. So there were two times, I think, during the data gathering when I knew that what he was telling me was not accurate. But that's not all that much different from other counseling I do because there's other times when I'm gathering data from people in session one and they're telling me something and I'm sitting there thinking, eh, I'm not buying that. and uh, So, all right, let's move beyond that. Let's talk now about the key elements of the counseling process. Before we begin, I had exhorted you to watch it for the process of counseling. All right, so I'm going to walk you through the the key elements of the counseling process and just make some observations. And um, part of the way through this, you're going to have opportunity for interaction. All right, first of all, the first key element in the counseling process is gathering information. I want to make three comments here. Number one, or point A, did you notice that I had the basic information, or the personal data inventory and the basic information sheet in advance, which I had read? Did you notice that? That put me on first base to start with. I already had some information about them. And you ought to have that information too. Um, I would encourage you that in your own counseling ministry, that when people ask for help, either at your church or ask you personally, that you give them the, the forms, personal data inventory, or the basic information questionnaire, and you ask them to fill it out and get it back to you, and you schedule the counseling session after they return the forms to you. And you say to people, listen, I want we're going to be talking about really important matters. I want to prepare well. I need time to think, plan, pray, get my head together so that I can minister to you and help you as much as possible. And I would urge you to be hard-nosed about that, particularly I assume all of you, or most of you at least, are beginning biblical counselors i tell you, you ought to be hard-nosed about that. Because if you're not hard-nosed about it and firm about it, what people will tell you is, well, we need to talk to somebody right away. I mean, we're really in a jam. And out of your desire to help them, you'll agree to set a date, you know, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, and they'll promise you they'll get their forms back to you, but they won't. Or they'll fill them out part way and bring them to you and hand them to you at the beginning of the session. You're already, if you're a beginner, you're already going to be nervous and then they're going to hand you the forms half filled out. Well, what are you going to do then? And I just think you ought to just be hard-nosed and say to people, look, I've got to I got to have these at least a, a couple of days ahead of time. So fill them out and get them back to me. And when people tell you, well, we need help right away, I think you ought to say real nice, well, then fill them out right away and get them back to me. And then we'll schedule the session. All right? So that you can... re. You know, we love God and we love people. A very tangible way of showing love for people in counseling is that you prepare for the session. And particularly for beginners, you resist the temptation to wing it. And you ought to prepare. So, um, second, I want to point out, did you notice both extensive and intensive data gathering? Extensive data gathering is when you're asking questions about multiple areas of life, what I call the wheel of life or the circle of life. You know, I ask some questions about their spiritual life and their life, excuse me, their life history, their spiritual lives, the kind of work they're doing, about the marriage, about the relationship, the family, finances. But in each of those areas, that's extensive data. It's big, broad. But in each of those areas, there was intensive data gathering, where I asked multiple questions about each of those areas. That's intensive data gathering. You need to do both. And then regarding the data gathering, I just want to comment. What you watched was 38 minutes spent data gathering. And I would just suggest to you, just as a rule of thumb, I mean, there's no verse in the Bible that tells us how long to gather data from people in session one. So this is a wisdom issue. I would suggest to you, particularly as beginners, you ought to think about your data gathering being about 45 minutes long in session one, just as a rule of thumb. What I see over and over again, particularly with people that I'm supervising, is that the tendency of beginning biblical counselors is to spend too little time data gathering before they start telling people how to rearrange their thinking and their behavior. And uh, I've said for decades, the most frequently violated verse in the Bible by beginning biblical counselors is Proverbs 18, verse 13. That verse says, uh, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. And over and over again, I've listened to recordings where a counselor is answering a matter before they've heard it. And that's why I just say as a rule of thumb, and that's all it is, just a rule of thumb, spend about 45 minutes gathering data. Alright, let's move on. The second key element of the counseling process is discerning the problems. And did you notice that the way I took notes, it allowed me at the, toward the end of the session to say to them, the way I've taken notes, you've talked to me about eight different problems. Did you notice that? Well, um, I think personally that there's value in being able to say that to a counselee. I think that builds involvement. I think that gives hope to them because it indicates I really listened. But you've got to take notes in a certain way to be able to say that. So let me tell you how I took notes and offer this as a suggestion for you to consider. Uh, If you were to look at my notes from that session... After uh, I had asked for the life history, in fact, if you go back and watch the DVD, you'll see me overtly draw across my sheet, and what I wrote on it was the word Issues, colon. Underneath it, number one. And off to the left, there's a capital T. That means Trey told me this. So I wrote it out underneath that, indented a little bit, there's a capital D dash. Here's what Deb told me about his number one. Alright? And typically, and with dealing with couples, I would start with the husband, then go to the wife, go back and forth. With, the, with them, Trey gave me the first two. So you go down to number two, off to the left, there's a capital T, then underneath that, indented a little bit, capital D, Here's what she told me about his number two. Then number three, Deb gave me that one. And off to the left, in the margin, it's capital D. It means Deb told me this. Indented is a capital T. Here's what he said about that. And so, just as we move from issue to issue, I just kept the numbering. And when I got to that point in the session, I could just... Sh- go back to that part of my sheet and say, okay, well, we ended up with eight of them. All right? really, there's no magic about it. It's just a systematic way of doing it. I remember I was teaching, I I mentioned this at another conference where I was doing this, and a lady came to me afterwards and she said, well, Randy, I said, "Uh, I'll think about your idea, but I'd do it differently. I said, okay, tell me how you do it. And she says, while people are talking, she says, I type, And she said, I'm just typing, taking notes. And she said, I don't pay any attention to the formatting or anything. And then after it's done, she said, I like to wait like a day and just kind of let the dust settle. And then I go back to my notes, and I work my way through them, and I organize it and outline it and everything so I get it all kind of put together in a good way for me. I said, okay. I said, well, if you have the time to do that, God bless you. I don't have the time to do that. With my responsibility and the schedule I have, I got to get it while they're sitting in front of me. All right? So, you can be, again, there's no verse in the Bible telling us how to do this. It's It's a wisdom issue. Got to figure out a way that works for you. I would encourage you to think about what I've told you about how I do it because it works and there is value in you being able to say to the counselee, here's the number of problems we've talked about. But more than that, that list becomes a very helpful checklist for you as you're going on in the sessions because you need to keep, even like on session three, four, five, and six, you need to keep going back to session one. Why'd they come to see me? It's what we call the presentation problems. And you've got to go back and say, okay, they gave me eight issues. Which ones have we, can I mark off? We've dealt with those, you see. So consider that. All right, let me move on now. We've talked about gathering data, discerning the problems. The next key element is gaining involvement. Gaining involvement means that as counselors, we do some things on purpose to try to establish the relationship with the counselee such that it would encourage them to be open to us, to be responsive to us. We want to establish the kind of relationship where they will not just tell us their problems, But then they're going to be willing to sit and listen to us, tell them what we think they ought to do about their problems. And in our culture, you cannot assume that just because somebody makes an appointment to come see you as a counselor, that they're looking for you to tell them what to do. A lot of people in our culture are used to having been to other models of counseling, where the, the other model of counseling, their goal is basically to make the counselee feel better. You know, to affirm them in some way and to encourage them in some way. And some people will schedule an appointment with a counselor just because they want a vent. They want somebody to listen to them. And some people are willing to pay a lot of money to have people listen to them. All right? Well, we want to listen. But that's not all we're going to do. And so we have to build involvement. The other, the, the next key element is giving hope. And hope is not like the fisherman's hope. You know, hope will catch something today. Biblical hope, a Christian's hope, is the confident assurance that if I will hear and obey God's word, my life in the future will be better. That's our confident assertion. That's our confidence. And we want to give that kind of hope to our counselees. What I've observed is oftentimes the things that we do to build involvement give hope. And the things sometimes that we do to give hope oftentimes build involvement. They, they kind of have a way of uh, interlocking, connecting. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think back over what you watched, what you heard, and I'm going to ask you to identify what you thought or you interpreted as an effort on my part to either build involvement and or to give hope. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to raise your hand, and when I recognize you, Then uh, speak in a loud, clear voice, and I want to hear from several of you. um, What are some things that you saw or you heard being done that now, looking back, you would say, okay, that was an attempt to build involvement, or that was an attempt to give hope? All right, who would be first? In the back, loud, clear voice. Okay, the emphasis on them having a learner spirit. All right, there's another hand here somewhere. Yes, sister, right there. I noticed that even in the opening prayer, you talked about their willingness to come and your hope. I think you can use the word hope in your opening prayer um, to instill that. Okay, it's a matter of the opening prayer. All right, yes, right here. Okay, the statement that I said, I think I can help you, and the Bible has answers. Okay, let's hear uh, one more sister, then I'll hear from some of the men. Yes? I think the idea of having a date, the, the, smiling at each other after that. Yeah, all right, the, the practical homework for change and growth plan. All right, fellas, let me hear from some of you. Yes? You said you're glad that they're here. Stated that I was glad that they were there. Okay, yep. Yes, sir? Okay. Yeah. Quoting the scripture, and I think saying, "Here's the plan for the the session." I think that does build involvement. People, I think, respond. Yeah, yeah. There's an opportunity for them to share. Uh, okay, sister over here. answers. So I think I can see the hope in that. Okay. The emphasis on emphasizing the fact that the scriptures have answers and and a lot of people would say the statement I made that I know where the answers are, that that gives hope and so forth. Um, I like saying that to counselees when I'm able to. I, don't, I can't always say I know where the answer is, but... Usually I I can. I'd say to you, the next time you start a counseling session, and let's just say that people give you five issues, and you look at the list and you think, you know, I think right now I know where the answers to two of those are. One way you can build hope is by saying to your counselees, you know, I look at this list, we've talked about five different problems, and I think right now as I look at these, I think right now I know where the answers are to two of these, and by the time I meet you next week, I'll know where the answers are to the other three. In other words, don't brag about stuff. I mean, don't don't lie to them and say you got answers when you don't. I, factor, I think a lot of times it builds more hope when you say, I don't know, but I will know. That builds on somebody's caring, you know, enough to, to get involved. All right, let's hear from uh, two or three more of you about what did you see being done to build involvement or to give hope? Sister right here. Okay. Showing uh, compassion by mentioning I'm saddened by their uh, circumstances. Okay, yes sir. Like, you about and how you All right, the comments about uh, accountability and holding them accountable. One or two others. Brother in the back. Yeah. The, um, the homework assignment on the, the one date per week, alternating responsibility. By the way, I just stumbled onto that idea. I mean, now it's been decades ago. I continue to be amazed at the positive results I get from that simple homework. It's just amazing to me. All right, anybody else? Maybe one or two more. Yes, loud, clear voice. Okay, she's talking about treating them with respect and um, and she mentioned particularly not telling them they were bad people because they were struggling. All right, maybe one more. Sister, right over here. I like the way you asked them if they were willing to do this and then have them verbally confirm in the sake of verbal commitment, essentially, that they were going to do this because now you could hold them accountable because you asked them and they answered you. Okay. And she mentioned about uh, explaining expectations going forward, and then the matter about holding them accountable. And for people that um, who really want change, that would be welcomed. And for a spouse who's suspicious about the level of commitment their spouse has, that would be building involvement too. Right? Okay, let's move on, and we'll have time for more questions uh, a little bit later. The fifth key element in the counseling process is delivering biblical instruction. And first, I want to point out, did you note that I did not address their presentation issues directly in this session? And uh, <clears throat> so let me, let me just talk about this. This is a, a philosophical issue, and there'd be some counselors that uh, might differ with this, but I'd really like you to consider uh, this perspective. I... With the people I train, I would argue, in session number one, you do not have to address directly the problems that brought people in. But you have to do something to point them toward Jesus Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience. And hopefully you do it in a persuasive, motivating manner. All right? That is a major philosophical statement. In session number one, you do not have to address the presentation issues directly, but you must do something to point the counselee toward Jesus Christ and a life of biblical obedience, and hopefully do it in a persuasive manner. So, uh, with the people that I supervise, a common assignment that I give them is I tell them they got to develop three ways that they could point a counselee toward Christ and toward a life of biblical obedience Uh, in session number one, and hopefully they practice it enough that they can do it persuasively. Let me tell you what my three are. Number one would be the do right, do wrong chart, which you saw being used. And um, I've used that for a long, long time. It just seems to click with a lot of people. seems to be very, very helpful. But depending on how wordy I get, sometimes that takes, you know, 10, 12, 15 minutes. And it works best if you have a whiteboard. And so sometimes you don't have 10, 12, 15 minutes, and sometimes you don't have a whiteboard. So you need something else. So my second method is I like to use Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. That's the passage where Christ says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. I referred to it in this one. But there are other times when I would just turn to that passage, maybe turn my Bible around, give it to them, and ask them to read it, and then I will explain that passage. And that passage has become very meaningful to me, and um, I have learned how to explain that passage in such a way that it just really connects. seems to connect with people by God's grace. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it's not unusual. If I'm talking to a couple in the first session, if I just focus on Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, by the time I'm done, the wife will be wiping tears. I mean, there is so much hope and encouragement in that passage that it just moves people. And I'd encourage you to memorize that passage, meditate on it, study it out, get, all, get Bible commentaries, do study tools you can. It is a wonderful, wonderful passage. And I've learned, I can explain that one uh, pretty well in 8 to 10 minutes or so. But sometimes you don't have 8 to 10 minutes. So on other occasions, I use Proverbs 4.23. And this passage says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the issues of life. And I've learned how to, I can explain that one in about three minutes if I have to. In fact, here a while back, I had started a a case with a, a lady that's a little bit older than me, and she was on three different psychotropic drugs, been on them for 10 years. A friend had told her to come to the training center where I was working at the counseling center. And um, she told me that the drugs hadn't solved her problem. She didn't like the side effects. And um, she didn't, they, were, they didn't solve her problems. And her friend told her she needed to come to the counseling center where I was working because we were not pill pushers. So the session just moves slow. And I get down to the end. I'm jammed up on time. i got another session starting right after this. And I'll call the woman Helen, just for a name. And I wasn't even sure she was saved. And um, we get down toward the end, and I just said to her, Helen, let me just summarize what's going to happen if you come back. And I really hope you will. And I turned my Bible to Proverbs 4.23, spun it around, gave it to her, and said, see that verse right there it's underlined? I want you to read that to me. And she read, watch over your heart with all diligence from the, for from it flow the issues of life. She starts to hand it back to me. I said, no, you just, just hold on to that. And I said, let me explain this to you. And here's what I said. This was written by the wisest man who ever lived other than the Lord Jesus Christ. His name was King Solomon. He had been given divine wisdom. In chapter 4, he's talking to his sons about the issues of life. And the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus Christ says to his sons, watch over your heart with all diligence. And I said, Helen, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's not talking about the muscle that pumps blood. It's talking about the core of our being, the center of our emotions, the center of our thoughts. It's that part of us where we talk to ourselves in the night and we bawl ourselves out and, and it's the center of our being and our aspirations and our motivations. Uh, the Bible, is, elsewhere in the Bible, says that man looks only on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And Solomon echoed that when he said to his boys, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it comes all the stuff that happens in life. And I said, Helen, if you'll come back and let me work with you, I'm going to talk with you about your heart and your relationship with God and how that affects everything that's happening in your life. And when I said that, she broke down and wept. And through her tears said, That is exactly what I need. Three four minutes. Now, the point is, if you agree with what I'm suggesting, and I hope you will, that should take a big load off of you as beginning biblical counselors. Because one of the reasons many people are hesitant to begin doing biblical counseling is they think, man, I've got to know the Bible on any problem they may bring up or any question they want to ask me. And if you think that, you'll get so intimidated, you'll never start. But I want to say to you, you can start. You don't have to deal directly with what brings them in but you've got to do something to point him toward Jesus, and you got time to get ready for that. And then after the session, you've got days following, maybe up to the next week, where you can think about all that you heard, you can analyze it, pray over it, seek counsel if you need to, develop your plan to come back, and you come back to session two, and you've got a plan, you're ready to go to get started. So consider that. You've got to provide instruction. But you don't have to address directly the problem that brought them in. All right, let's move on. Uh, the sixth key element of, uh, is either assign homework, or I like to call it you must uh, provide or assign a change in growth plan. Did you notice how specific the homework I gave them was? I want you to remember this profound theological statement. People do not change in fuzzy land. They change in specifics. And um, I also want you to notice how the homework was used to gather information, where I asked them to keep a log of the topic of their arguments. So, before we just do our general Q&A, let me just say, uh, what you watched me doing, and what we just talked about, the key elements, you can do this. I mean, each of you could do this. Now, you may not... Be as smooth as, as I am after, and you won't be as smooth as you begin as you would be after you've done a hundred sessions. I mean, you'll get better. But you can do this. There was no magic in it. And if you're a follower of Christ, and I assume you are, you can in some way minister the Word of God to people that are hurting. So I want to encourage you to do it. And what I'd encourage you to do is you may say, well, I don't have any counselees. Well, I'd say to you when you go home, open your eyes. Open your ears. It's not like we live in a world where there's a lack of hurting people. And just engage with people. And when people pour out their hearts to you, you can just kindly say, Hey, would you like to just get together and kind of follow up on some of this and talk about what the Bible says about it? And informal counseling can oftentimes lead to formal counseling. So I would encourage you to do that. Okay, I've reserved some time for questions. What I'd like you to do is raise your hand, and if you ask questions, I'd like you to ask questions about counseling methodology. I cannot answer questions about a specific case you're working on right now, all right? So we need to deal with principles of biblical counseling. And also it could be any of the other sessions that I taught or just about biblical counseling in general. But again, I cannot answer questions about specific cases. All right, so questions? How do you introduce um, an observer in the room when you're you're counseling? All right, the question is how do you introduce an observer uh, in the room? Uh, What I do is um, I just say that um, I'd introduce the person as my helper or as my counseling associate, counseling assistant. Um, At Faith Church in Lafayette, which is a biblical counseling training center, uh, we not only do counseling, but we have counselees. Um, we're accustomed that just we've got, like if I'm sitting at a desk and the counselee sitting over there, there's just two people sitting here all the time. And we just say, um, we do team counseling here. These are my assistants. And for most people, it's not an issue. I was there for a little over 24 years, did hundreds, hundreds of counseling sessions. And I had a few people ask about it, but nobody really pushed on it hard. I had one guy that really, really pushed hard and just said, we. he was just going to say we couldn't continue if these people were here. And I um, let him persuade me to ask, I asked them to leave. And ten minutes after they left, I regretted my decision. And... um if people say, I won't talk to you while they're sitting there, I'll say, well, you need to go find another counselor then. And I would say at your churches, there's great value in doing... Te- I'm a huge fan of team counseling. There's all kinds of benefits from that, personal protection being one. Um, so you just introduce them as your helper. But if you're going to have people observing, uh, you need to... And you know, you need to understand as a counselor that one of the skills that you need to develop is you need to learn to keep your mouth shut in seven different languages, and um, if you're given to run in your mouth, uh, that will destroy your counseling ministry and it could has the potential to create all kinds of division in the church. so okay, another question. Loud, clear voice. The question is, uh, how do you uh, deal with somebody who comes for counseling, but they barely do the homework or um, don't do it at all? Uh, Thank you for asking that. The key uh, principle to remember is this. A failure to do the homework becomes the subject of counseling. A failure to do homework becomes the subject of counseling. So let me play it out for you like this. People come in for session one, you do all the key elements, you end up giving them change and growth plan, homework, and they come back for session two, and let's just assume that for talking purposes, that only half of it's done, and the half that's done is really not done fully and completely, and when you question them about it, they give you some, what I call, sorry excuse about why it didn't get done, and what I do is I kind of review the homework and then I would lay my pencil down, pen down and I say okay we have to talk about something you came last week, you told me about this sad situation you're in heartache and I told you that I was willing to help you and that the Bible had answers but I told you I think it was you wasn't it where I said if we're going to make progress I need a learner's spirit did I talk to you about that and I talked to you about a willingness to do homework didn't I talk to you about that and didn't you say you was going to do it and I talked to you about being willing to come multiple sessions wasn't that you yeah and I'd say okay help me understand then I mean you, you cried last week I, I thought you were serious about getting help why didn't they get done and they'll give you some sorry excuse and so forth and I say well um, I'm not persuaded so I just want to say again if we're going to make progress I need a learner's spirit from you that's manifested in the willingness to do homework I'm going to ask you one more time are you going to give me both? okay expect things to be better next week I can say all that just the way I did right notice I didn't raise my voice didn't pound the table but a failure to do homework has become the subject of counseling If they come back the next week and it's the same thing, I'll go through it again, but the temperature is going up. And I will use it to question their commitment to the counseling process. I may use it to question their commitment to the marriage. I may ask if maybe you're... I've met some people you know they just want to talk about problems they don't want to work on solving them. Are you that kind of person? And we will have what I call a straight-up conversation. And again, I'm not going to pound the table, raise my voice, yell, scream or anything. But they will know they've been talked to about that. And um, if it happens... Again, the temperature will keep going up. I remember one time um, I was working with a couple where they both professed Christians. They came from the same fellowship of churches that I was familiar with, had worked in. And um, the wife—that was marital diff counseling—and she, that they, they, she was hurting big time, and wanted to. They, she really—it was obvious in session one that she was the one who was most desirous for change. But they both agreed to do the homework and so forth. Session two comes back. She's done all the homework thoroughly. He gave me, you know, just part of it and had some sorry excuse why some of it didn't get done. And I did what I with him, what I've just modeled with you. He comes back, session three, same, same thing. Temperature goes up, and he fusses with me a little bit and gives me excuses and everything. In session four, he comes back, and it's becoming increasingly evident that the man she had reported about his struggle with sinful anger and it's becoming sin, it's becoming evident and he's one of those guys who talks the talk but he's not much into walking the walk of christianity in session 4 the homework wasn't done and i'm having this conversation with him and i had decided i i just need to go after the idols of his heart and i began questioning his commitment to christ and even his faith as a christian and manifested, because I told him, I said, you're responding to the homework like I'd expect a non-believer to. I said, convince me one more time that you're a Christian. And anyhow, he and I kept interacting, and while I was interacting with him, he uh, got a little heated, and I could see out of the corner of my eye his wife starting to wipe tears. And at one point, he just got angry with me and just said, well, if that's the way you're going to be about it, I'm done. And he gets up, walks out, and slams the door and uh there's this unsettled quiet in the counseling room for a few moments. And um I caught my breath and I looked at his wife and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I know that had to be hard for I said, I, I saw you crying. She said, Those weren't tears of sadness, those were tears of joy. And I I, I said, What? And she said, We've had three different pastors who knew the way he would act, and who he gave them that same song and dance he's given you. You're the first preacher that wouldn't let him get off with it. Those were, so, those were tears of happiness. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> One of the reasons for using homework is it, among many benefits, is it demonstrates who really wants to grow and change. All right, other questions? Yes, sir. What well, if you have uh, one kind of in so the other person speaking? Or you of counseling, and you two, but only one showed up. All right, the, well, let's do one question. Uh, first question was, what do you do if you have one counselee that keeps interrupting the others? Well, you stop them. Just like I did with Trey at one point. When he arrived, I said, stop. I said, "You let her finish. And that's one way of building involvement. Because there's some relationships where it's not just husband-wife, but sometimes it can be parent and child. I mean, there's, there have been times when I've had parents bring in a teenager that they think needs to be corrected or so forth. And I'm asking the teenager something, and he's telling me about maybe some of the failures dad and mom, and they start, and I just say, just wait a minute, I ask him a question. And when I let the teenager express himself, that builds involvement with him. Because, you know, most teenagers come to counseling thinking, oh, you're going to with Dad and Mom, and they feel like they're dead meat coming in. But when you willingly hear them and allow them to express themselves. The same thing sometimes happens with um, husband-wife relationships where maybe a wife has not been allowed to express herself freely. And just like with this one. It didn't, wasn't overt with Trey and Deb, but I stopped him at one point. I said, look, let her finish. So that's uh, what you do. Okay, other questions? Loud, loud clear voice, please. You mentioned that when you watch the video, you down a lot. Do you make any changes, and how do you recommend creating more eye contact? Yeah, the question is, um, based off my comments earlier, that uh, when I watched it, I noticed how often I'm looking down. What I've tried to do is push my notes up in front of me so that I'm writing up like this, so my head's up a little bit more. And then some, with some people, I will just say, listen, I'm going to take careful notes. I'm sorry I won't be looking at you as much as I'd like to, but I can't look at you and still write or type. And um, so I'm trying to do a little bit of compromise and just address it with people. Um, I do take good notes. Those are important to me. But I am trying to do more with the eye contact. And I've tried to do more with the eye contact like even at the beginning of the session when we're doing what I call chit chat and just I mean I'm look I'm not right I'm just looking at them interacting with them and then when I'm teaching the scriptures I'm looking at them completely I mean I'm unless we're looking reading a passage so there's other times where I try to compensate uh, for it yes. You know, I think the question is uh, about how I take notes and um, to maybe look at my notes. And um, I take the kind of notes that would help me remember the flow of the session. Sometimes I'll even record the, the time in the session where certain things happened. And one of the ways I've learned to take notes that I've not mentioned yet is if they say something that I think is really significant – Uh, I will write that down word for word and put quotation marks around it. If something's in my notes and quotation marks is around, I'll usually put the person's initials. And if I got their initial and a dash and this, that means you said that. And, you know, sometimes people will will make statements that are very self-incriminating, you know. And or I'll just say, ooh, that was something and I'll write that one down and think, that'll come back to help me in a little bit and uh, so uh, that's the only other thing I do and so I think this is an individual thing you just got to take notes to help you remember and it's not like, you know, we're t- legal uh, stenographers we don't have to have every word we're just kind of remembering the flow and we want to get the main points okay, last question I didn't hear. What you, how often do I use a recorder? All right. The question is, how often, uh, again, taking notes, do I uh, use a recorder? Uh, I use one very seldom. Um, some of the people I supervise tell me that they, um, for supervision purposes, they have to submit five recordings. But some people find listening to their recordings to be so helpful that they record all their sessions and listen to them. And basically, my response is, I mean, if you've got the time to do that, God bless you. I mean, I, I don't have the time to do it. And um, for me, as a counselor, uh, listening to a counseling session is about like listening to me preach. And uh, that's not always a pleasant experience. So So I don't do it maybe more than I have to. Well, listen, it's 4.59. We want to finish right on time. You've been a great crowd. I just uh, salute you again for coming. I want to tell you that the next two weekends, the the men that are coming to to be teaching, you're going to love. And they're wonderful brothers, and the whole team here locally will be back. But the the guest speakers that are coming in are just going to be tremendous. You're going to really appreciate them. So I trust that you'll be good stewards of what you've heard this weekend. And uh, hear and obey, and look for opportunities to put it into practice. God bless you as you go home. Be safe.